Hello everyone, I am so excited. I have with us today Dr. Ujala. She is the surveillance officer for the World Health Organization uh, on polio in Punjab, Punjab Pakistan. Uh, this is another part of our coverage for the World Polio Day here at the College of Physicians of Philadelphia. Stick around, you, you don't wanna miss this discussion. Welcome to the Your Mark on the World show with your champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. This episode is made possible via the support of our sponsors, including Johnson & Johnson's Caring Crowd. Dr. Ujala, thank you so much for joining us today. Most welcome. I'm obliged. Well, uh, we're excited to have you. Um, I visited Pakistan uh, a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Amazing, amazing experience. But Pakistan really is the front lines in the war on polio. There, there are really only two countries where the disease is still endemic, mm -hmm. uh, Pakistan and, and Afghanistan. I think Nigeria is still officially endemic, but uh, there haven't been any cases there in a year or two. What are you seeing on the ground? Yes, this is unfortunate that Pakistan and Afghanistan are the only countries who are having wild poliovirus cases, human cases up till now. And so far this year we had six cases. But we cannot forget that we have come a long way. There's been a tremendous, tremendous effort behind us. And I normally say that this is the longest running eradication program. And if not uh, so long ago, in the recent past, we had 306 cases in 2014. And now we are only on the six cases. So I'm very hopeful that soon we will finish it. Although it's getting long, people are exhausted. We are tired ourselves. We want to do it. Nobody wants it there. But, you know, virus is, we are killing it. And when you try to kill something or somebody, that thing try to save itself. Yeah. It's the war of survival. It's the global eradication. Yes. So now we are detecting even very atypical cases who are not, who don't look like polio, but the virus is there. So mm -hmm. it's finding its last hideouts and we will finish it. So your responsibility with WHO for uh, surveillance is to identify those cases. That's your, that's your job. And you're also tracking, in addition to the cases, the, the, the presence of the virus in environmental samples. And we say environmental samples, usually we're checking sewer, right? Yeah. Tell us about the presence of the virus in those environmental samples. Okay, yeah, we are doing two types of surveillance. One is acute flaccid paralysis, human cases, and second is environmental surveillance. We have filter clinics, drainage sites, uh, and plus at some uh, cities we have only open drains. We do not have filter clinics. We grab one liter of water from those drainage dirty water, and then we test it for the wild polio virus. So we have 57 sites currently, and we have expanded the network a lot. And 
so far this year, many of the sites across the country, they are coming positive. And in Punjab, uh, we have Rawalpindi as the major city, which is continuously coming positive with a gap of one month sometime or two months, but it is positive and it is the largest threat we are having for this province particularly. Punjab is the largest province of Pakistan, high population density. But the good thing is that we are detecting wild polio virus in the environment through these sites. We haven't had a polio case since February 2017 in Punjab. So on one side, we are doing well. On the other side, when we are detecting this wild polio virus in the environment, then we are doing detailed investigation to see whether we are missing a polio case or we have gaps in surveillance. And we are making sure that every single AFP case is online list. So I can fairly claim that we are not missing a human polio case. That's good. That is exciting because there's so few, as you pointed out earlier in our discussion. Is it possible mm -hmm. Polio has, or that Pakistan has seen its last polio case. Is it possible? Is it possible that we have seen its last, that like this last case is the last case? Yes, is that possible? Uh, it's very difficult. Uh, no epidemiologist will ever say a bold statement on this. With the current environment, positive environment samples and with the frequency we are having, we cannot specifically, if I, I being an epidemiologist will never state this, we can have one or two odd cases, but we will finish it. Because if we see at the recent cases, which have been like one is facial palsy case, Normally, physicians across the globe, they say it's not like a polio. You don't take uh, facial palsy cases as AFP cases. But we have gone from the AFP rate of 2 to the AFP rate of 6 per 1 lakh uh, target population of 15 years. So we have sensitized our population and our doctors and community. And we have really improved in our campaigns as well. But yet, I will never comment that this was the last case. I hope it is, mm -hmm. but I will not. <laughs> what, what do you think? And I, I want to be clear. Mm -hmm. uh, no one blames Pakistan, right? And I'm not suggesting that this is Pakistan's fault. But the fact is, it is in Pakistan, and Pakistan is part of the solution. Right? What, what needs to happen to bring polio eradication to its logical conclusion in Pakistan and Afghanistan? You know, one thing is for sure that it's nobody's fault. We can say everybody in its own position is doing its level best, but maybe right in point of this time, it's our level best is not good enough. Pakistan and Afghanistan has to do it together. We cannot do it separately. We are one epidemiological block. There, there's a long border between the two countries, which is not protected. And the security issues in Afghanistan 
and then this population movement across these two countries. Until and unless we control and vaccinate all those population on the move, we cannot finish it. But we have reached this point, there's tremendous, tremendous success. Like the MIS children or any children, they are very few, 0.7% of the target population, if we look at this year. So we have multiple issues which are coordinated and uh, like we have security issues. Nowhere in the world polio workers are killed, but in Pakistan they were. Yeah. We have lost many precious lives. Still I am hopeful that Pakistan and Afghanistan together will make it. If you say Pakistan can make it alone, no we cannot. Our borders are open. Right. We have population settled across both sides. So we have to do it together. As you uh, think about the progress that's been made, what are you most proud of having accomplished so far? Uh, one year polio free Punjab, <laughs> that was in 2016. Then we had, the good thing is that we detected in 2017 the case, and I'm proud of it that we are not missing any case. So for me, it's more important that we detect the cases rather than we have an outbreak after like six to seven years of polio-free status. So I'm proud of detecting the virus in the environment and in the humans. That shows our strength. That shows that we are not hiding, we are not faking up the data or we are doing, like that's my success if I detect it. But yes, to finish it is still like a challenge because of multiple uh, difficulties we are facing. I think you are, you are a doctor, I am not. We might say you are smart and I am not. But the question I have for you is, it seems to me that most epidemiologists would have said mm -hmm. that with 99% coverage, we would achieve a very good herd immunity and the disease would no longer spread. Mm -hmm. Do you think my assumption is right? And if it is, why are we seeing cases still popping up in Pakistan with such good coverage? You're very right. Uh, when we talk about immunity developed after the routine, immunize, routine immunization, like the normal vaccination that every child should have, and then there is supplementary immunization. So if I study the data, being a doctor, herd immunity is there, we are doing seroSurveys, we are doing many different type of approaches to see that. But if the child has not received the routine vaccination, and the early SIA dose is delayed, the immunity sometimes is not developed along with malnutrition, along with your environmental conditions. And plus, you are sure of the population which is settled, you have vaccinated. But then there is daily movement across our borders. Daily people are coming from the reservoir areas of Afghanistan and they are coming to our major hubs and they are going back. 
one unlucky child who is malnutritioned or who's having some type of other secondary illnesses or maybe immunodeficient so we cannot stop that virus particularly when it is dying so it's changing phase one example is this last case of khaber which is facial palsy case again i am referring that because we don't see polio in facial palsy except for it was reported in india so we can say that herd immunity phenomena is there but fail to vaccinate at an early age is very very important and it might be the cause routine immunization is not good in certain pockets mm -hmm. where there are security issues and uh, where the SIEs are done but still if a child is born today and you are doing SIE after two months or three months and he, that child particularly did not receive its first dose that's where I see the gap is. In June mm -hmm. there was a brief ceasefire between the Taliban and Afghani government forces and I, I I can only imagine that there was really great hope mm -hmm. among polio fighters in Afghanistan and Pakistan that that window would open up, mm -hmm. that, that ceasefire would create an opportunity to immunize children who had not been reached. As I understand it, that ceasefire ended, hostilities resumed. How do you see the world coming together to get those immunizations to those kids that are in those conflict areas in Afghanistan. How do we, it seems like that's really important. You're very right. That is particularly the zone because the accessible area or where we can vaccinate is very small if you see Afghanistan, the belt across Pakistan and Afghanistan, adjoining areas. But the areas which are still not accessible to we people as immunization team, the locals from that area are still moving into our population and going back and forth. They are hidden or undercover. So assessing that population particularly needs some extraordinary innovation or strategy. But we have to realize that we cannot risk the life of people. Like it's very exciting to say that we can send somebody there to vaccinate, but we cannot stake the light of that uh, life of that vaccinator over there. So those inaccessible pockets, although there are uh, PTPs, permanent transit mm -hmm. points, the population which is moving from the borders into Pakistan or Afghanistan or interprovincial borders, every child is vaccinated. And at Turkham border, we have children vaccinated up to the age of 10 years mm -hmm. and sometimes seniors as well. So we are trying our level best to find out every point where can, we can vaccinate them. One is this PTP. Second is whenever a child is coming for any type of health seeking behavior to our hospitals in Pakistan, we are vaccinating or even within Pakistan. The children who are coming, although we do not have that type of inaccessible areas, but any child who is coming from an underserved area or a, a difficult to reach area, he or she is vaccinated within the hospital. So we are not missing any opportunity to vaccinate them anytime. Right. 
but security is still an issue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I visited a hospital in Peshawar mm -hmm. and saw the efforts there and it was amazing. I think there were eight teams working in the hospital the day I visited. Uh, I visited some permanent transit points uh, along highways mm -hmm. uh, in that region of, of Pakistan. Uh, it seems almost impossible for uh, children to miss a dose in Pakistan. My sense is it's easier to, to miss in Afghanistan. And uh, is right? Or are there parallel structures in place in Afghanistan? At the borders we have, but as I have not been to Afghanistan, it's yeah. difficult to comment about their epidemiology and their service yeah. and strategies. But if we have security compromised areas, then the risk is there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Until and unless the child moves out of that area. So transit right. points are there as well. But you have to wait for the child to come out. Yeah. Interesting yeah. challenge for sure. Yes. As you think about what you've learned as you've been working on polio eradication, what's the most important lesson? Never give up. <laughs> That's the lesson I have learned. And it, if you speak in terms of technical things, then I have learned use your data. We superficially, some things look really nice and good, but until and unless you break your data from all units, like surveillance is one unit, routine EPI is another, SIA is the third one, high risk population data and you combine that data and then do the risk assessment, you'll get the answer. Sometimes, because we have huge districts, huge population size, so overall indicators are going fine. But when I break that data into the seal and UC level, then I realize that there is an issue. Mm. So that's what I have learned from polio program. Go into the depth of everything and never take data as a joke. It always tell you, tell you the right path where to move. Why is this so important to you personally? You, you're brilliant and you could do anything. Why this? That's uh, true. For me, getting an easy job, not going to the field, sitting in house and enjoying that is very easy. But, you know, being a doctor, and being a mother, I feel challenged that why should we have these crippled children everywhere? Why can't we finish and everybody else has done it? So now it's becoming like I am paranoid. <laughs> I want to finish it. I cannot die with this thing in my mind that it's not finished. We have to. We cannot give. I at least personally, it's a challenge for me. I cannot give up. And and this is the best thing I can give to my nation because I, I'm not a leader. I don't have billions of money. Rotary does have it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if I consider myself as a minute person of my nation, that's the best gift I can do for my children, the nation children, to get them polio-free, paralysis-free life. That's brilliant. I cannot bring myself to not ask you another difficult question. It's difficult for me to ask, 
-hmm. And I ask you to bear with me as I try to ask this question in a sensitive and respectful way. Benazir Bhutto was one of the world's first female presidents, president of Pakistan. An amazing, inspiring leader. Um, the Western perception of women in Pakistan is muddled mm -hmm. because we see both Benazir Bhutto and we see you, but we also hear stories of women who are not given all of the opportunities you seem to have enjoyed. And when I was in Pakistan, I seemed, you know, in my limited time there to observe this, right? Some amazing, impressive women in leadership, in, in government, in science, and, and yet in other times, women seem to be uh, in a challenge situation. How is your, tell us about your experience as a woman at the top of her field in Pakistan. Yes, you're very, uh, very right. Benazir Bhutto is the first prime minister of Muslim countries for Pakistan. There are, like, I belong to a certain class or certain group of society where females are treated equally and we are given equal opportunities to grow. But we are very minute. Very few people are there who give their daughters opportunity or the husbands allow their wives to work like this or go in the field. My experience from my family was very good. I was equally treated and everything from my husband. It's very good. But when you come to work, females are not that easily welcomed and particularly when they are at a position higher than the males. So I do face challenges as well, but the challenges are uh, different in the sense that it's never affecting the program, but it's affecting your personal, somebody hitting you on your like uh, personalities or your behaviors and this type. Once you come to the program, uh, there is like, everybody wants to finish it, so we never bring our work inside. But I feel that negative vibes from people, for females, mm -hmm. and it is there. Wow. We, means I cannot deny it. Even if I want to, I, can. <laughs> I cannot deny this. That I am privileged by my birth, but I am not privileged by my society. Okay. Interesting. I appreciate you sharing what mm -hmm. must be a sensitive and, and maybe difficult topic to talk about. But thank you for sharing that insight with me. Mm -hmm. What is your superpower? Work under stress. Manage. I don't panic. Because there are conditions, because uh, from example from my program, I have the largest number of AFP cases across Pakistan. Last year, we had 45,047 45, cases, AFP cases. So then there are conditions when we receive calls. Immediately send this, send this, send this. So managing the stress and still staying calm is the best quality I have. That's my superpower. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great superpower. 
Well, Dr. Ujala, we are so grateful that you would take the time to be with us today. Uh, if there is someone um, watching that wants to learn more about the surveillance program and to get the latest and greatest data, uh, can you tell them where to go to find this information? Yeah, there are websites available. If you simply go to the Google and write ant polio now, you'll find every, every detail on that site. Uh, you go to that site, type in Google and polio now. You have Rotary International and polio. You have World Health Organization. All these searches, if you'll just don't go Internet Explorer or Google and you'll find all the information. Month-wise, year-wise, cases, places, maps, everything is there. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Ujala, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. We really appreciate your insights and the time you've spent with us. And we wish you every success in your effort to eradicate polio in Pakistan and Afghanistan. Thank you very much for inviting me here. And let me express what I feel like. You asked the questions in a very... I must say way that people should realize what we are going through. And I would like to thank Rotary International, particularly for the support they are doing in Pakistan. Every time people say me, we want this, we want that, and I say, okay, call Rotary, please. <laughs> so that's the great effort. Thank you. Thank you. And okay. now let's do some good. A caring crowd, we believe everyone has the power to make a difference. Through our crowdfunding platform for community health, we empower passionate people to drive real change. Whether you work for a nonprofit organization, volunteer, or want to get involved for the first time, you can post a campaign on Caring Crowd. Join us, because caring is where change begins. Thank you for listening. Devonthorpe's mission is to end extreme poverty, improve global health, and mitigate climate change before 2045 by finding and sharing the stories of those who are doing the most good. You can join with other listeners to accelerate Devon's mission by visiting helpdevon.org right now.